Welcome back to one of you, and we're going to let you decide which one that is. So only one of you, welcome back. Yeah, and this is day 92. Did you know that, Eric? Just ignored, just ignored the nonsense. Yeah, I, I did know it was day 92. And I, yeah. Well, you get used to it. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely Eric, true. Eric, today we're reading the 1 Samuel 25. No, I'm sorry. 1 Samuel 23. Through first Samuel twenty five. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. First Samuel twenty three twenty three fifteen. Yes. Through the print is so small. I need yeah. to get we need to get a mag can we have Allison work on Don't that? Don't these work as a magnifying glass? Isn't that no. the whole point? Yes. Not as good. I need to get some stronger ones. No, no, don't put them on. Oh. Oh. Yeah, okay, that's a little better. Yep. Okay. Welcome back to Chip and Eric opening in optometry shop. What's that called? Optim I almost said Optimus. Optimus. Yeah, we need to be Optimus. Optimus. All right. We need to be Optimus, so we're going to get right to the reading. Fine. Okay. One day near Horash, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their sol solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul and Gibeah and betrayed David to him. We know where David's hiding, they said. He's in the strongholds of Horish in the hill of Hakala, which is, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. Come down whenever you're ready, O king, and we will catch him and hand him over to you. The Lord bless you, Saul said. At last, someone is concerned about me. Go and check again to be sure of where he is staying and who has seen him there. For I know that he is very crafty. Discover his hiding places and come back when you are sure. Then I'll go with you. And if he is in the area at all, I'll track him down, even if I have to search every hiding place in Judah. So the men of Ziph returned home ahead of Saul. Meanwhile, David and his men had moved into the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah Valley south of Jeshimon. When David heard that Saul and his men were searching for him, he went even farther into the wilderness to the Great Rock, and he remained there in the wilderness of Maon. But Saul kept after him in the wilderness. Saul and David were now on opposite sides of a mountain, just as Saul and his men began to close in on David and his men. Uh, an urgent message, message reached Saul that the Philistines were raiding Israel again. So Saul quit chasing David and returned to fight the Philistines. Ever since that time, the place where David was camped has been called the Rock of Escape. David went, then went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone to the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, David went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David, he crept forward and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. So then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes. It isn't true. 
For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As an old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I'll never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing the one as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry, and he said to David, You're a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where he could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let this enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when this happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. Now Samuel died and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. There was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep-shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible, sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep-shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. Would you, So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who've come from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, 
five sheep that had never <laughs> that had never been slaughtered, that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. Thank you. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming toward her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did us to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and even kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered Ill man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my lord, as surely as the lord lives, and you yourself live, since the lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance in your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me if I offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. You have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Even when you chase those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones from shot, shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all you promised and made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Well, David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and carrying out vengeance in my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, no one, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. The David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Well, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so he didn't tell him anything about the meeting with David until the dawn of the next day. In the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what happened. As a result... He had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord, who has avenged the insult. I received from Nabal, and has kept me from doing it myself. Nabal has received punishment for his sin. Then David sent messengers to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. When the messengers arrived at Carmel, they told Abigail, David has sent us to take you back to marry him. She bowed low to the ground and responded, I, your servant, would be happy to marry David. I would even be willing to become a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Quickly getting ready, to, she took along five of her servant girls as attendants, mounted her donkey, and went with David's messengers. So she became his wife. David also married Ahinoam from Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to a man from Galim named Palti, who was the son of Laish. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's quite the story. Michael's gone. For now. For now. Okay. Yeah. Woo! Yes. Okay, so we're reading this with two questions in mind. The first one is, what does this tell us about God? The second is, what does this tell us about us? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how to say it. So, you know, we've read, many of us have read this, maybe, maybe you've read this many times. I have. It's like, you it's know. It's my first time. Okay. Well, you know, 
David didn't want to touch the Lord's anointed. You know, do it, do it, do it. This guy's driving you nuts. He's driving you crazy. He's chasing you all over the place. He's trying to kill you. Do it. Now's your time. Do it. And he had a conscience from God. You know, and he's like, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. So he valued God's anointed. And, um, and, and even later on, you know, he was grateful that um, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't come home and, and uh, he didn't bring vengeance on Nabal because Abigail stepped in. You know, it was kind of the voice of reason, the voice of God on that one, and let God do it. And so I think there, there is a principle there that God wants... Like, that God can handle the vengeance better than we can on somebody else. Sometimes, like, we, he'll use people to do it, but, and sometimes we think we can do it better and we should do it better, um, but God, you know, can do it better. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, many times, most of the times, it's not all the times, it's better just let him do it, bring yeah. the vengeance. Absolutely. Handle that. Yeah, I struggle, I'll be honest, I struggle with that um, cave scene. The cave scene. Because Saul wasn't God's anointed. He was going to the bathroom. Yeah, but he wasn't God's anointed. Yeah. He was, David is. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I just struggle with that. Like, maybe God really was handing Saul over. You know, I have absolutely no reason to believe he wasn't. Because David's whole argument against killing Saul in that moment is he's God's anointed. But we see hmm. the anointing left Saul, and an evil spirit came upon Saul, and David was anointed. But these passages going back to back like this help me not... Again, I don't know if he was right or wrong to spare Saul. It, it doesn't matter. The outcome is the right thing that God will eventually take care of that. But I guess I need to expand a little bit because this is a struggle. I'm not saying... I'm just, I wrestle with it, I guess is the way I'm saying it. Sure. Okay. David kills Saul that day in the cave. David becomes king. Jonathan stays by his side. David doesn't kill Saul in that cave that day. Mm-hmm. Spares his life. Spares his life again later. Saul dies a horrible death, mm-hmm. falls on his own sword, and Jonathan's murdered in the battle too. Yeah. You know, and I just think some part of me says, you know, he wasn't God's anointed. He was only positionally the king because he hadn't been killed because he, you know, and I just, some of that says to me, man, if David had killed him, then David would be king and it would have moved on a different, a whole different way. And these Old Testament narratives don't always tell us the moral nature of the story about who's right, who's wrong, who's doing well, who's doing poorly. Hmm. And I think this is a great example of that where it's reporting what happened, but not telling us if it was the right thing or the wrong thing. So I just struggle with that. It's just something I wrestle with, and yeah, honestly, it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately matter. But what I will say, and we learn this from the story with Nabal, is David spares his enemy, Nabal, yeah. and in sparing his enemy, because of Abigail, and in sparing his enemy, Nabal, um, and, and Abigail kind of pushing David to do the right thing, she becomes his wife, and she is, in this story, a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that phrase, that word peacemaker only brings one Bible verse to mind, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. And we see that in the life of Abigail, she goes from this horrible, tormenting, probably abusive, evil husband. I know my husband's an evil man. She goes from that to being married to the king because she sought peace on David's behalf. And 
if David had killed Nabal, he even says it, it would have been murder. Mm-hmm. And he would have violated the covenant. And yeah. what do you think would have happened to God's anointing then? Hmm. Right? And so she protected David's anointing. She protected David's um, right to be on the throne by preventing him from breaking the covenant, by preventing him from committing murder. She protected David. And she helped him maintain the throne in the same way that his faith when he fought Goliath helped him achieve the throne, right? So I just think that there's something beautiful about the peacemaker. And she's blessed for it, and David's blessed for it, and all of us are blessed for it. So blessed are, that's a long way of saying, blessed are the peacemakers Mm -hmm. is what I'm going to go with for my, what this tells us about us. When we bring peace, we'll be blessed. Yeah. So I think the takeaway could be look for the peacemakers. It could be people. David had a conscience of God, mm-hmm. can be God the Holy Spirit. Listen to the peacemakers that, you know, will help you and prevent you from bringing wrath or judgment or committing murder, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. on other people. And sometimes you might need to be a peacemaker. Exactly what I was thinking. Somebody else. Yep. Yeah. Exactly what I was thinking is instead of vengeance, instead of seeking after vengeance, seek peace. Mm-hmm. And, and even don't even... I think get to a point in your heart where you don't even hope, well, I hope God gets them. I hope they get what they deserve. Mm. Yeah, that's you know, true. And, and just instead seek peace and believe that God's going to deal with them. Sure, why not? But hope, like if let's say you have somebody from your childhood that just tormented you, whether it's a bully or a relative or whatever, they just tormented you in your childhood. And today you find yourself, your mind wanders off to those people and you just think like, man, I hope that they're just having the worst life. I hope God gave them everything they deserved and whatever. Man, I think a much more Christian perspective is I, I hope that they accepted Christ. Yeah. I hope that, they, that God turned this around for them. I hope that I can see them in heaven you know, I think just getting to that point, it's hard and nearly impossible many times, I think. But I think just getting to that point is just so important. Mm. And being a peacemaker and a lover of peace more than a lover of wrath, you know, and there's a place for both. But the wrath is God's, not ours. Mm-hmm. So I think we just hope for reconciliation and peace as much as we can. Yeah. 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 I, wrath can just zap the energy, the oh, focus, yeah. the Absolutely. faith, everything from, from your life. I've been there. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's just not healthy. So get rid of the wrath, pursue peace. Seek peace and pursue it. That's a Bible verse. I don't know where it's at. I don't either, but that is, you're right. It, it is verse. Seek peace, pursue it. My friend okay. Chris, Pastor Chris, he um, once said that if Osama bin Laden had accepted Christ, it mm-hmm. would have been the same as Paul's conversion. Hmm. You know, like a person who vehemently hates Christ and everything to do with him, yeah. who gets converted. If the early church was praying for Paul to get the vengeance he deserved, how different would Christianity look today? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that happened, if somebody took revenge on Paul for holding their coats mm. while they stoned Stephen, mm-hmm. you know, how different would it be? So I think just get to a place where you love peace and that you yeah. desperately want your enemies to be used by God for, in tremendous ways for the gospel and that you can have reconciliation. I think it was Barnabas. Was he the one that kind of broke the ice with that with Paul? Yeah, so Ananias brings him around, and then Barnabas yeah. is like, no, we, we can trust this guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Barnabas the encourager. It's a big deal. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for joining us. Good job. Way to keep reading. Yeah, keep it up. You're doing awesome. Keep it up, and we'll read to you tomorrow. Yeah. And the next day. <laughs> and the next day. Yeah.
All Forever. year. We just signed ten year contracts <laughs> for fifty million dollars. We got Woo! the same we got the same contract as Patrick Mahomes. Fifty million a year. Oh. Yeah, whatever it is. It's not a year, I don't think. Yeah, but. I don't know. That's pretty good. Yeah. It could be though. Never know. Could be. All right. We love you. We do. Bye bye.